Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a terrific job. And uh, you can find out more by visiting their website. Give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Lots going on. We'll also visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about Edith Hamilton, who feared the decline of individualism more than atomic bombs. Such an interesting story. And then Ishmael Hernandez, one of my true heroes here locally. He's the founder and president CEO of the uh, Freedom and Virtue Institute, doing great things uh, to help kids understand the importance of individual uh, freedom. <clears throat> and we'll, he also served on the 1776 Commission, which I understand is uh, being revived. I look forward to find out what's going on in that front. It is May the 24th, and on this day in 1844, in a demonstration witnessed by members of Congress, American inventor Samuel F.B. Morse dispatched a telegraph message from the U.S. Capitol to Alfred Vail at a railroad station in Baltimore, Maryland. The message, What Hath God Wrought, was telegraphed back to the Capitol a moment later by Vail. The question taken from the Bible, that's Numbers 23-23, Numbers had been suggested to Morse by Annie Ellsworth, the daughter of the Commissioner of Patents. He <laughs> just smoozing with the Commissioner of Patents. Uh, Morse, an accomplished painter, learned uh, of a French inventor's idea of an electric telegraph in 1832 and then spent the next 12 years attempting to perfect a working telegraph instrument. During this period, he composed the Morse Code, a set of signals that could be represent language and telegraph messages and convinced Congress to finance a Washington-Baltimore telegraph line. Probably better off with uh, private financing, but irrespective. On May 24, 1844, he inaugurated the world's first commercial telegraph line with a message that was fitting given the invention's future effect on American life. His, uh, just a decade after his first line opened, more than 20,000 miles of telegraph cable crisscrossed the country. The rapid communication enabled greatly aided American expansion, uh, making railroad travel safer as it provided a boost to business conducted across the great distances of a growing United States. Morse code didn't last long, did it? Because the telegram, telephone uh, came along uh, shortly after, in fact, at the end of the uh, uh, 19th century, but irrespective, uh, made quite a contribution in terms of communication in the early days of, of uh, expansion. Well, I will take a moment. Phil Mickelson became the oldest player to ever win a major Sunday when he captured the PGA Championship in golf by two shots over Brooks Kepka and Louis Oosthuizen, uh, at 50 years of age, Mickelson, he's at 50 years and 11 months. He didn't even qualify to play this weekend's event in Keogh Island in South Carolina. He entered the tournament on a special exemption and won it all. So cool! He was uh, ranked 115th in the nation. Didn't qualify for the tournament. Uh, a major champion at age 50, the oldest in 161 years of a major championship in golf. 
never mind that he was 115th in the world. This is just an incredible feeling because I believed it was possible, but everything was saying, no, it's not, Mickelson said. His performance was amazing, but it was also great to see thousands of maskless, tightly grouped fans cheering him on and other greater golfers cheering them on as well. Uh, there is no appearance of pandemic in South Carolina, especially on Kiowa Island. Congratulations to Phil and also everyone pursuing the great things in the twilight of their careers. Phil Mickelson showing it can be done. Florida Governor uh, Flor uh, Ron DeSantis made it clear this week that he had no plans to submit to the radical left and their fake news narratives, telling a group of Republicans at Allegheny County's annual Lincoln Day dinner that he only has begun to fight and warning the GOP cannot revert to the days of failed Republican establishment of yesteryear. DeSantis was, of course, a rising star in the Republican Party. He delivered a half-hour rousing speech to hundreds of Republicans attending the event in Pittsburgh, speaking about the corporate media, big tech oligarchs, and Florida's tried-and-true pro-freedom approach to the Chinese coronavirus pandemic. All I can say is to any state that cannot follow suit, open your state, open your schools, end the mask mandates, let people live and thrive, he said. When it came right down to it, we could choose freedom over Fauciism. Pretty catchy. When the governor did not explicitly express any plans to run for president in the next election cycle, one of his lines had garnered a bit of attention from the establishment media. I can tell you this, in the state of Florida, we... With me as governor, I've only begun to fight, he said, prompting many to ponder his future political plans. Beyond his intention to win re-election in the Sunshine State's upcoming gubernatorial race, he also warned Republicans against reverting back to the ways of the party establishment, a phenomenon that has caught national attention with the ousting of now-former GOP conference chair Liz Cheney. As we look forward to the fight against, we cannot, indeed we will not go back to the days of failed Republican establishment of yesteryear, he said. We are not going to do that. The governor also advised Republicans to steer from seeking approval from the establishment media and their allies. Now, this is great. Advice he has demonstrably followed himself, continuing to forge a pro-freedom path ahead in Florida in the face of constant criticism and fake news, uh, one, of, uh, one of which came to the national spotlight on April 30th in 60 Minutes in April after 60 Minutes deceptively edited a segment making it look like as though DeSantis failed to properly address accusations of pay-for-play in vaccine distribution. So what I would say to Republicans, don't seek approval from these people, he cautioned. They don't like you. They will smear you. They will attack you. The way they, to win is to fight back and not take it anymore. Don't let people uh, set the agenda for our party anymore. I had one person say, I hope Trump's not our president anymore because uh, he gets attacked so much by the media. <laughs> It's not going to make any difference who's president if it's a Republican. It's going to be the same behavior. So, you know what? Do what's right and just forget about how they respond, in my opinion. Now back to this. The 42-year-old governor urged Republicans to stand your ground and hold the line. Don't back down, he said, channeling the spirit of former President Donald Trump by vowing to fight on. While former President Trump has dominated hypothetical 2024 polls, DeSantis has continued to round out the top choices, tying former Vice President Mike Pence for second choice of the hypothetical 2024 Republican matchup. Yeah, so uh, it's Trump and everybody else, according to the polls. Great story on DeSantis. He's in Allegheny County up in Pittsburgh. 
Uh, makes you wonder why he might be going out of state, but it must have been a great draw, the Lincoln Day event, uh, as they announced that DeSantis would be coming up to speak. Also, he should be credited as the pandemic winner for leading the country in reopening businesses and requiring schools to stay open. That, according to Bloomberg opinion columnist Joe Nocera. Can anybody doubt it, Nocera asked in a Bloomberg op-ed. He pointed to uh, Florida's swift economic recovery. Pretty spectacular. Anyhow, he's getting a lot of notice. Also, by the way, he... uh, Biden didn't give the commencement address at Notre Dame this weekend. They canceled him because of a student petition against his stance on abortion. They didn't miss anything, in my opinion. Quite frankly, probably, he probably would have called them dull, too, a dull class, because they wouldn't laugh at his jokes or clap for his applause signals. Anyhow, the U.S. Center for Disease Control. Now, this is very concerning. The U.S. Center for Disease Control, the CDC, is altering its practices of data logging and testing for COVID-19 in order to make it seem the experimental gene therapy vaccines are effective at preventing the alleged disease. They made no secret about this, announcing the policy changes on their website in late April, early May, though naturally without admitting the fairly obvious motivation behind the changes. The trick is in their reporting of what they call breakthrough infections, that is, people who've been fully vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2 infection, but get infected anyhow. Essentially, COVID-19 has been long sh- has been shown to those willing to pay attention to be an entirely created pandemic narrative built on two key factors. I like this. Listen to this: false positive tests. The unreliable PCR tests can be manipulated into reporting a high number of false positives by altering the cycle threshold. This is important. Inflated case count, the incredibly broad definition of COVID case used all over the world, lists anyone who receives a positive test uh, as a COVID-19 test, even if they never experienced any symptoms. Without these two policies, there would never have been any appreciable pandemic at all. And now the uh, CDC has enacted two policy changes, which means they no longer apply to vaccinated folks. Firstly, they're lowering the CT value, which testing samples from its suspected breakthrough infections, from the CDC's instructions for state health authorities on handling possible breakthrough infections, uh, and this is uploaded from their website, for cases with a known RT-PCR cycle threshold uh, value submitted only specimens with CT value above, equal to or above, uh, 28 to CDC for sequencing. Sequencing is not feasible with higher CT values. So, uh, I may have said that wrong. Maybe it's below. But in in any event, let me tell you what the net outcome of all this. Now, uh, only for uh, the vaccinated people, the CDC will only accept samples achieved from 28 cycles or fewer. That can only be a deliberate decision in order to decrease the number of breakthrough infections being officially recorded. Secondly, asymptomatic or mild infections will no longer be recorded as COVID cases. So <laughs> that's right. Even if a sample collected from the uh, uh, lower CT value of 28 can be sequenced into virus alleged. The point being is this. Even if people were, uh, need to be hospitalized, uh, if they had the, the vaccine, <laughs> it's not going to be called COVID-19. Wish I had more time to discuss this. We need to get on to Mark Schulman the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. 
Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. I hope you'll visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Ishmael Hernandez. He's the founder and CEO of the uh, Freedom and Virtue Institute, also a member of the former 1776 Commission. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website called HistoryCentral.com. Great for kids of all ages, including you and I. Check out HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. And uh, first of all, last time, of course, I should let our listeners know that you're located in Tel Aviv. Last time we had a conversation, there were threats of bombs flying and sirens going off. And uh, uh, how's the situation now? Yeah, it's very calm. It's like it never happened. It's like the sea, sea of change. Uh, within hours of a ceasefire, uh, basically everything quieted down. Everyone kept the ceasefire completely this time, which is unusual. 
usually the Hamas likes to have one last round of rockets, but I understand that um, Israel planes were completely blanketing the Gaza Strip during the, that period of time, and they were told that if they did fire, there would be serious consequences. Mm-hmm. So for the moment, everything is quiet. Where it goes from here, nobody really knows. Uh, Hamas is never going to give in, and obviously Israel can give in to Hamas, so we're in a, one of those situations. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, the the uh, ceasefire itself is not based on any f- mutual understanding. <laughs> so, no, it's based on the fact that they're tired of being bombed, basically. Yeah, and um, we don't. The, the problem is there is no good solution, and that's what makes this so terrible. Because Israel obviously could reconquer the Gaza Strip in you know two days, three days, maybe less. Yeah. But then what? First of all, it would be costly. It requires you know ground you know ground combat. Uh, person-to-person, urban fighting, all those sort of things that um, that is costly. There's no way around it. Yeah. But second of all, then you end up uh, reoccupying it, but you still don't have total control. You're going to fight guerrilla warfare for months and years at an end. It's, it, there's no simple solutions. That's the problem. Yeah, so what, what kind now of... There's always been a problem. What kind of a stock do you put in the fact the head of the Palestinian resistance movement thanked Iran for supplying military support and financial backing during the conflict? Yeah. Okay, that's first of all, you're talking about the Hamas, Hamas is not the, you know, not the overall Palestinians, but yes. Yeah, yeah, Hamas. The, 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 the Iranians are very much involved in this, there's no question. They, I'm sure they encourage Hamas, they resupply them, they pay them money as much as possible, and that's really what goes on. And then, of course, people complain, well, you've blockaded the poor people of, of Gaza, but the only reason there's a blockade is because they try to smuggle in more exact missiles. Yeah. So... so uh, yeah, and then uh, it's, a ter- it's a terrible dilemma. Yeah, and uh, uh, the uh, leader, supreme leader Ayatollah at uh, of Iran, now has encouraged uh, all uh, 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 Muslim countries uh, to states to support Palestine and militarily and financially and help rebuild Gaza. So uh, it, you know Iran's role in this. Now, my my question also would be about the uh, the accords. These uh, Abraham Accords as to whether this will have an influence in the outcome of this. It seems not to. Um, again, because it was short, and you know, in reality, the civilian casualties were very low. Mm-hmm. Um, and since the civilian casualties were very low, and there was no mistakes made, you know, one of the things I was saying on the air the last couple of days is, it, it, let's end this uh, before Murphy shows up. And Murphy always has a habit of showing up. Murphy would have meant from the Israeli side accidentally bombing a school or something like that with lots and lots of kids, or one of their missiles getting through and actually killing a lot of people, and neither of those two things happened. But everyone was aware of the fact that Murphy was always on someone's shoulder. Something could have gone wrong. Is that a reference to Murphy's uh, Law? What? Yes. (laughs) It can go wrong, will go wrong. Well, in this case, not everything that could go wrong, but the reality is eventually the odds catch up with you. Yeah. And they didn't this time. Thankfully, they didn't. Yes, a few children did die. We don't even know how many because some of the deaths on the um, on the Gaza side were from misfiring of rockets. Ten percent of their own rockets fell inside Gaza. Yeah, is there, uh, Mark? Is there uh, apparently there's over nine miles of tunnels that were destroyed as a result of this? But uh, is there any idea of how much Hamas was neutralized? I mean, are they weakened as a result of this? Yeah, they're certainly weakened for the moment. The question is, how long will they stay weakened? You're dealing with an organization that has only one priority, and that's to attack Israel. Mm-hmm. So they're not really that interested in how their people are doing. They're not interested 
um, they're not interested in um, in too much uh, civilian aid, and they're not interested in the people living well. They're interested in how they can continue what they consider the resistance. So it's like a no-win situation because that's what they've been dedicated to. The whole organization has been dedicated to that from the beginning. Yeah, and you know they're fanatical about it, and so it's very difficult to find a, a way around that. Yeah. Interesting. Mark, we have so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work, and that's just one of the great initiatives. I hope you'll check out thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. So uh, let's move to events right now in Belarus. <laughs> it's, so international law, I would imagine, has been greatly violated. Maybe you can tell us about it. Absolutely. So we, you know, in Belarus, there's been demonstrations against the dictator who's been controlling Belarus for 30 years. Mm. Um, he's ruthlessly put down all the demonstrations. They were in a fake elections. He gets, he's supported by Putin. 
very directly. And what happened was uh, one of the leading dissidents who had organized the demonstrations who had fled the country was flying on a fr- uh, flight, I believe it was from Italy to Lithuania. But that flight overflies Belarus. And the Belarus Air Force was sent to, up to intercept the plane and force it to land in Belarus so that this guy could be taken off the plane, uh, arrested, and he's going to be charged in such a way that the penalty in Belarus is, is death. Mm. And this violates every norm of international aviation law that basically says that a plane that is from a third party flying over a country um, cannot be diverted by the local country unless there's some, you know, force majeure, or, you know, weather of some kind or something of, of that nature. Uh, certainly not to take a political figure off the plane and to his arrest. Yeah. It's going to be a big test for the EU at the moment. So far, there have been strong statements. Um, but statement, statements will not do in this case because the whole world and every tin-pot dictator in the world needs to know that he can't do something like this. Right. In my opinion, minimally, their airlines should be barred from flying to any country in the world and no airline and no country should fly to the to, uh, Belarus as long as this continues. Yeah, that's a great um, idea. Great idea. I mean, uh, the, but the, uh, the other, of course, uh, result of all this is that you know, 30 years of dictatorship by guys, very Lukashenko, apparently extremely unpopular and ruthless. Right. So, so uh, Yes, very ruthless, killing a lot of the demonstrators, certainly very, very unpopular. But, you know, as long as you have the support of the army, you can stay in power. And he's managed to do that. Yeah. So um, that's been a theme. We'll see. Yeah. And he's, of course, he has the support of Putin. Yeah, I'm not sure Putin really would have liked this to take place, but who knows? Yeah, Putin, you never know what game he's playing at any given moment. So the idea of banning their airlines around the world—I mean—is that an idea that's being bantered about by the EU and others? It's being bantered a little bit. No one has really quite figured out what to do, and there've been various condemnations, but no one has come up with a plan yet. Mm-hmm. I can't believe they won't. Like I said, this can't be allowed to stand because. It then gives a, a you know every dictator in the world the right to start interfering with flights that overfly their countries. Yeah. And at what point you know you'll start seeing you know flights won't cover or go over many many countries, and at that point the world's going to get a be a much longer and bigger place. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. Well, let's move to uh, China. And uh, f- for now, over a year, there's been some question about whether this. Uh, uh, China, China virus was created in a lab or was naturally created. And, and now the spotlight seems to get, the, the interest and focus seems to become more intense. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. There's reports yesterday that a number of the Chinese lab workers got sick mm-hmm. in November and needed to be hospitalized, which would be the right point in the timeline for where this virus began in the Wuhan lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... At least that is pointing to the possibility that the um, virus was something that got out of control from the lab as opposed to something that was created naturally in in nature from bats. Uh, Again, it raises all sorts of questions. So let's take this at face value for the moment and say it did did originate at a Chinese government lab. Mm -hmm. What is the liability of China to the rest of the world at this point? Right. And that's why they're right. they're fighting. They're covering up the opportunity to investigate this worldwide. Uh, the right. I mean, you know, they they would owe the world billions and billions and billions of dollars mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. 
it's an interesting situation, especially since China is trying to be capitalistic and be involved in the international monetary systems and everything else, which makes them open for potential seizures and everything that would be involved in if they got judgment against China for this. Yeah. So, very interesting possibility. I mean, in one sense, yeah. the, the Communist Party, the Chinese Communist Party, is an international terrorist organization, in my, in my view. Yeah, well, okay, let's, let, let's stop there. Okay, this doesn't, there is no, um, pr- not even proof, there isn't even a hint that this was done um, deliberately by the, by the Chinese government. In other words, it wasn't a virus that they developed and planned to distribute to the world. Right. Um, what seems to have taken place, if this is what indeed took place, is this virus in some which way developed in the lab without the goal of distributing it, but it got out, so to speak. Yeah, so, negligence uh, so, as opposed to, you know, negligence homicide as opposed to premeditated homicide. Right. So there's, there's, uh, th- there's that question, which still remains. I mean, it, it's possible. We ought to at least consider the fact that, that this was intentional. Hopefully not. But the other side of this is the international, uh, the intellectual property theft of all the other things on so many different fronts that China's done to uh, attack the United States and other countries. I mean, and that's why I say it's an international terrorist organization. Yeah, but again, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go that far. Terrorist is something. Let me put it this way: I have a real problem making everyone a terrorist because if you make everyone a terrorist, then a real terrorist is not a terrorist. That's right. I understand that. And so that you know, that generally speaking, it has to do with every time we identify someone as you know, whether an anti-Semite or a terrorist or a fascist or a, a racist, we need to be very careful because everybody who says something and does something and do, you know doesn't fit into that category, and then what happens is it takes away from the real anti-Semites, the real, real racists, right. and, actually, um, and the language, real terrorists. Language means everything. So, I mean, words that are important, what word would you use to categorize the Communist Party, Chinese Communist Party? A kleptocracy, I think is the word. Kleptocracy? A group of thieves. A governmental group of thieves. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, what they are. In a, other words, a they, criminal organization. They, what? A, a criminal, criminal organization. Yes, I would say it's a criminal organization in that sense, in terms of gaining power for China, whichever way is necessary. Yeah. But I would. There's a difference between a criminal organization and a terror organization. You're exactly right. I mean, uh, we could say Iran is a terrorist organization. China. Right. Is, absolutely. They engage in terror all over the world. China does not engage in terror. No one has ever accused them. They don't sponsor terrorism. They uh-huh. don't finance terrorism, they want the world system to be relatively peaceful so they can make lots of money stealing it, you know, white-collar crime as opposed to, you know, other types of crime, right. violent crime. Well, thanks they, for they, don't, they don't engage in violent crime, only white-collar types. Okay, thanks for that clarification. I think it's an important discussion. So let's, let's move to what's happening in Myanmar. Right, so the Myanmar, again, you have a situation where, uh, for the first time, um, the former president has been brought to trial and she's appeared in court. It's this impossible situation again. The people of Myanmar do not want these military to rule them, and yet because the military is so insular from the people, mm-hmm. they live in their own own towns and they have their own services, and there's almost no interconnection between the military and the people in Myanmar. It's a very you know unusual situation. So the the, the military defends the military leaders. Yeah, because they're considered the only ones who are legitimate, and they have a minority controlling a majority, but that minority controls all the guns in the country. Yeah, now that's a, that's a common theme around the world, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Look at the look. The way to maintain. Look. Let's rephrase it this way. The only way to maintain the rule rule when you're not legitimate is by use of of, of guns. Yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. And so, in countries where the military aligns themselves with a particular politician and does not care about democracy, they can ensure that person remains in power yeah. or put someone in power. Yeah. And it's, it's look, it's, we can see many places in the world where that's happened recently. Yeah. And um, we need to fight that wherever we can. Yeah. Thank God for the Second Amendment. So. Uh, <laughs> well, you can turn that around the other way in this case, but that's okay. Now, well, well yeah, there are 450 million guns in the United States, 331 citizens, million citizens. So I, I think uh, the military would think twice about taking on <laughs> the American public, put it that way, if it ever came to that. So um, I want to back up. Uh, you know, China is on the border of uh, India right now, and uh, they say, oh, look, these are just... Well, I lost Mark. I hope he didn't. Ha I hope I didn't make him angry on that discussion. But anyhow, uh, uh, India right now is—I uh, should say—China's uh, building up uh, its power. It's uh, on the on the uh, uh, India border, and they're calling it a routine activity. Makes me wonder what they're up to uh, with uh, they're on the border of India. Anyhow, uh, that's a wrap here on this uh, segment of the show. Sorry to have lost Mark, but we're going to move on to uh, Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did.
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more by visiting choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Ishmael Hernandez. He is the founder and CEO of the Freedom and Virtue Institute and a member of the 1776 Commission. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Uh, listeners can learn a lot more about us and see our content at our website, which is fee.org. We are um, uh, organized for the purpose of inspiring and educating young people in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, small government, and personal character. And we do that not only through daily new content on the website and uh, videos, but also through in-person events all over the country and beyond. Yeah, and with hopefully as we see this pandemic wind down and people starting to gather, you'll have more events, and uh, they are so yes. ter- I've, I had the pleasure of attending an event or two to see young people gathering and celebrating individual liberty and freedom. It's so inspiring, Larry, I must say. And I, I want our listeners to know that if you have somebody at the uh, high school or college age, introduce them to the Foundation for Economic Education. Terrific organization. It will be life-changing in a very positive way. Uh, feed.org is the website. So, Larry, uh, you wrote, Why Edith Hamilton Feared the Decline of Individualism More Than Atomic Bomb. Such an interesting column. Uh, let's take a step back. and uh, Who is Edith Hamilton? Edith Hamilton is someone that people of our age, Bob, probably read uh, in junior high or high school, or or certainly in college. Uh, She's not read as much today, which is a sad commentary, I think. Mm -hmm. But she was a classical scholar, meaning a scholar of the ancient Greeks and Romans. She specialized uh, in Greece, actually more than Rome. She uh, was born in Dresden, Germany, to American parents, but grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, And uh, she and her four siblings, three sisters and a brother, were all homeschooled by their parents. And every one of them turned out to be a uh, fantastic, uh, successful professional in their various uh, careers. Uh, For Edith, she was able, after 26 years running a uh, school in uh, New England, to uh, then set out on a new career in her 50s as a writer her first book, uh, the Greek Greek Way, mm-hmm. was pu- the uh, the Greek Way was entitled. Was published in uh, when she was sixty two years of age, and that's the book probably more than any other, or maybe mythology. Uh, that's another popular book of hers that um, most of us remember reading. Yeah. Uh, she really drew forth the uh, lessons from ancient Greece, a society that she greatly admired. I greatly admired, and uh, Larry, maybe we could uh, talk about why she admired the great uh, ancient Greeks. Yes, uh, she thought the Greeks were not only the first uh, free society, the Athenians in particular, first uh, free society in the world, but uh, also uh, she appreciated them because they, uh, in turn, appreciated the mind. Uh, the early Greeks uh, elevated the individual and his or her mind Mm -hmm. to uh, a very special status. Greeks thought that uh, it was the 
highest measure of one's success to use his or her brain to maximum advantage, take advantage of the human mind, its, its mysteries, its capabilities, um, uh, to do things like invent and create and solve problems. And, um, and she just thought that their appreciation for the individual mind stands out in the history of the world. And, and yeah, I think that's an important uh, just to think about that in juxtaposition to some of the other things that are going on around the world. And what happened, for example, to the Muslim uh, society uh, used to be the actually the uh, the intellectuals of the world that all declined because they lost the respect for the mind. Yeah, uh, they lost the respect for the mind, and they also uh, uh, adopted, uh, uh, if I may say so, a, a dubious faith. Uh, but uh, of course, we probably don't want to get into religious questions. No, but but maybe maybe that. a du- uh, dubious understanding of a faith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah execution. That's a good way to put it, I guess. But the uh, the Greeks just really stand out because uh, they appreciated the mind, and one evidence of that, uh, among many, as she points out, is that more than any other people, uh, they played, and by that uh, she meant they were always having contests uh, in music, in uh, in dance, in uh, uh, races uh, for uh, you know foot races, and in. Uh, boat races, and you name it. The uh, city was competing with city and neighborhood with neighborhood. They were always uh, engaged in um, uh, things that would uh, involve competition between people, which they thought brought out the best of us. Yeah. So you all you draw co- contrast that her she feared the decline of the individualism in the mind more than atomic bombs. Can you expand on that? Yeah. Uh, Edith Hamilton was so convinced that the most salient characteristic of humanity is its individuality, Mm -hmm. Uh, the fact that each of us is a very different person. Mm -hmm. And to be fully free, you have to be yourself. You have to have the freedom to exercise choices that uh, go along with your your talents, your ambitions, your desires, your motivations, so long as you do no harm to others. And she, she was very fearful of any effort to sort of homogenize people, to uh, get them to all think alike or to think in groups. Uh, she thought that was uh, anathema and that the Greeks would never have tolerated anything like that. She wanted, as did the Greeks, uh, she wanted people to be uh, free to develop their individual minds, to be different, to excel, uh, to compete. And uh, she thought that was just the secret to being human. Yeah, just and just think about that in juxtaposition to current events right now, especially in the United States. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know, I mean, there, there's you know, what we want here, apparently, from one party anyhow, is uh, everybody to think alike, and for people who don't think that way to be categorized as domestic terrorists. Yeah, she put it so well when she said that quote <clears throat> quote Greeks thought each human being different. And I take a lot of comfort in the fact that my fingerprints are different from anybody else's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I added to that that uh, I'm certain she would detest today's uh, groupthink and cancel culture and political correctness and all this attempt to uh, intimidate people into thinking a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, the ultimate diversity is understanding that every individual is unique. <laughs> And therefore, that completely obliterates the need for uh, uh, group identity or uh, identity politics, that kind of thing. 
Yes. Uh, unbelievable. Yes, Again, uh, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I strongly urge you to visit the website fee.org. You'll find uh, why Edith Hamilton feared the decline of individual more than the, uh, atomic bombs on the website. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Uh, so, uh, some great quotes, actually, from Edith Hamilton before I move on to my next guest, uh, which is uh, Ishmael Hernandez, a person I admire him so much. He's been a friend for a long time. He founded an organization called the Freedom and Virtue Institute, and uh, it helps. Uh, well, he'll, I'll ask him to tell us about it. It's just so interesting what he's doing. Also, he was on the 1776 Commission. That was the commission that was trying to uh, create an alternative to the 1619 Project and uh, all, the, all the things that they're trying to do to diminish the importance of our, our history and background. Anyhow, we're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donations Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show as we're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Ishmael Hernandez. As I mentioned before the break, he is the founder and CEO of the Freedom and Virtue Institute. Ishmael, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Bob. Uh, thank you, Ishmael. And uh, uh, if I may, you, you have such an interesting background. I mean, you are truly dedicated to freedom and uh, personal responsibility. Uh, yet that wasn't your upbringing. Could you just briefly tell us a little bit about your background? 
Very briefly, uh, yes, uh, born in Puerto Rico into a communist household. My father being a member of the founding member of the Communist Party, and I joined the party with him. Eventually, uh, was very active in the party, went to study political science, and our goal was to destroy America. And, but I also wanted to be a priest, Jesuit priest, and I was on my way to go to Jesuit seminary in Central America to get involved with the Sandinista revolution and, and study philosophy there. And, Never happened and landed here in, the, in southern Mississippi, of all places, and began began to change my mind about the ideas of socialism. And uh, over time, uh, you uh, began to realize that communism is a ruse, and uh, that the whole notion of individual achievement being recognized for your achievements makes makes a difference. Absolutely. Socialism, Marxism, is, a, is an anthropological mistake. It's, it's, it's a wrong understanding of the human person, where identity becomes a collective reality instead of an individual reality built in our nature. And, uh, and that is what I began to learn, that, discern that is the truth about the human person. So, uh, what we are seeing in the country today, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, all these revolutionary movements, and even the action of many organizations are rooted in a false anthropology. Yeah. So you've started a great organization. It's called the Freedom and Virtue Institute. Maybe you can tell us about it. After I surrendered the ideas of, of Marxism, I was engaged in, in ministry and work with the poor, here in South Florida for many years, and as I said before, I saw the same assumptions of socialism alive and well in the way we treat the poor, and that needed to be challenged and changed. And that's when we started 11 years ago now, uh, the Freedom and Virtue Institute to bring into minority and poor communities uh, the ideas of a free and virtuous society informed by, by the ideas of limited government, subsidiarity, and the entrepreneurial vocation, and to ch again challenge the ideas, the collectivist ideas of socialism that are really infecting minority communities, but not only minority communities, mm -hmm. uh, the whole of America. Yeah. So the, the whole notion of, uh, well, the poor need our help, let's give them some money, they'll probably be taken care of that way, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's not how you think about uh, the poor. Absolutely. You know, what we have created is a transactional systems of care, where you are here with stuff, the poor are there without it, and then we transfer items to their hands, or we help them. Uh, get into the manacles of bureaucracies, yeah. and and that is not caring for anyone. That's simply a transaction, like when you go to a supermarket and you buy products, mm -hmm. uh, and that creates a set of incentives for the perpetuation of poverty. I always ask people, you know, if your your nonprofit is about food distribution for free. If your budget is going to grow, you need more hungry people. You don't need less hungry people. Right. So many times we're invested in the very problem that we are trying to solve 
So we have created these systems that that do not reflect the dignity and of the and the nature of the human pace person as having reason and choice, the capacity of knowing the truth and doing the good. Yeah. And that is the only way to end poverty. Yeah. When we help people in their journey towards self fulfillment. Yeah. Uh, and bureaucracies of the state cannot do that by definition because they cannot treat you as unique and unrepeatable. They had to deal with too many people. Yeah. So, so basically, it, that is our philosophy. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the old saying, you give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. And that's exactly what the Freedom and Virtue Institute does. Yeah, I, my understanding is that uh, you uh, help kids by, number one, uh, helping them set up a savings account, number two, paying them for doing things around the school or wherever it might be. So in other words, help them the whole notion of uh, that uh, they can earn money, they can put money away, they can think about buying school supplies for themselves. Uh, in other words, teaching them the whole notion, even at an early age, as young as six, seven years of age, to uh, to think about themselves as being entrepreneurs. You you did it right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's called the Self Reliance Club, and we are now in six states. We should be this year in Puerto Rico, and very possibly in all the public schools in Puerto Rico. Wow. And there are other five states where we are in, at different stages of development. So our institute is growing, not just in Southwest Florida, where we have 17 schools, but we're up, uh, reaching out to other parts of the country and in Latin America. We have five schools already in the Dominican Republic, by, wow. for example. Wow. Uh, and uh, so we started with one school here in Southwest Florida, and now we are growing all over the country. We also have a training we call effective compassion training that is for adults working in churches and nonprofits to help them learn the principles of helping the poor based on the principles we have lined. And we have a third new program we call it commonality training. And commonality training is for not for for-profit organizations, businesses and corporations and it's an alternative to diversity training ah. because diversity training doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. The research tells us that that the effects of diversity training last about between two to five days after training. And, and it really create, creates wedges within organizations because it's focused on race. Yeah. And what we believe is that if we look at what makes us all one, what is common, among us, which is the universal dignity, then from commonality you end up with diversity, not the other way around. And finally, I wanted to announce that we, we began our think tank portion of our institute, and we will be publishing our first book in October wow. on, the, on the question of race in America. Uh, how cool. Again, uh, one of my favorite people, inspiring person, Ismail Hernandez. I'm going to encourage you to visit the website fvinstitute, fvinstitute.org. Uh, subscribe uh, to the e for the emails and uh, read about the organization and, and read about Ismail. Such a f really inspiring story and, uh, again, a new approach and a better approach to addressing poverty in America. Uh, Ismail, before I let you go, uh, I know that you serve on the, and I'm very proud to say that you serve on the 1776 com, uh, Commission. Uh, the work that you had done with uh, other peers, 
has been it was uh, uh, initiated by the president of the United States Donald Trump it was taken down off the website the day that Biden showed up but I understand you guys are getting the, are getting together again yes it's called the 1776 unites project and it's under the Woodson Center of Bob Woodson oh, and yeah. the, the civil rights leader Bob Woodson a wonderful man yes and uh, I, I serve in the board of scholars of the the institute of the of the project with a number of wonderful uh, african american and and, and hispanic uh, leaders and we are about to also come out with a book about the 1776 unites project you should you should type 1776 unites and and we, you will be able to see what they are doing what we are doing and Part of it is education, education and the idea that the founding of the nation is was a blessing for all of us. And it was in 1776, not in 1619. Right. And that the main idea of America is freedom, not racial oppression. You know, uh, Ismail, my hope is that uh, your work would be available to school systems and to uh, states across the nation as an alternative to uh critical race theory as an ter- alternative to 1619 project. Is that one of your goals? Absolutely. It, that needs to be challenged. We, we cannot lose this battle. This battle is about, about telling the truth about the founding of the nation and giving people hopes that they belong to a society that is worth saving. If you believe that the, the basic idea of that built the society where we live is the idea of white supremacy, racial oppression. That is not a society worth uh, saving. Yeah. And what, what, where does that lead us if it is not to antagonism and pain for all of us? Right. And I don't want that for, for anyone. It's simply not good for anyone, especially for minorities in America. Af- blacks are quint- the quintessential Americans, not Africans in diaspora. Yeah. So that is the only way to rescue our society is to embrace the principles of our nation without losing sight that to effect those principles in action took pain and suffering. Absolutely. Yeah. But we can learn from that history based on those principles and embracing those principles. I always say that some people want to change America by stomping on the flag when it should be the opposite. We can change America for the better by embracing the flag. Uh, That means embracing the principles that made this country what it is. Ismail Hernandez, uh, founder and uh, CEO of the Freedom to Virtue Institute. Please visit uh, fvinstitute.com. Dot org and subscribe and uh, make a contribution. They do great work. Ismail, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow, we're going to visit with our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Boo Mortensen will be joining us, and Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, will be with us as well. And my wife, Linda, uh, will have a great discussion as well. Uh, if you, I appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobhardenathotmail.com, bobhardenathotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>